0: This little thing might not go so well for me, so bear with me. I've never used a clicker. So um, before I start, um, what are those called? Joy boxes? Okay, I just wanted to see if you do that for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we got here this morning, uh, this, is, uh, this is actually my second time being here. We came a few, my wife and I came a few years ago. And just attended one of the services, and we're completely blessed then, as we are already this morning. Um, But I walked in, I met some of the folks, and Mike, I noticed, is is drinking ski. And it came to mind that I forgot this is ski country up here. We don't really have it, even though it's like 20 miles, we don't really have ski in Collinsville. And uh, it makes me sad, because a year ago, almost to the day, I quit drinking soda, And so you can feel bad for me, it's okay. Um, And uh, so, as Mike's about to take a swig, (laughs) um, just continue to pray for me, though, because it's an everyday battle. Um, If you have a Bible this morning, please go ahead and open it to, uh, I'm going to be reading for a little bit in Job. And uh, before we begin, um, Job... Was a godly man, very godly man, and uh, actually the text there, God's words are: "There was no one like him on earth." That's a pretty big deal, when when God says there's no one like this man, in a, a good way, of course. And so when we're looking at the beginning of the text, there there's uh, an exchange between God and Satan, and. Um, The verse in verse 6 says, One day the angels came to be present, uh, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And I I find that kind of funny, God going, Well, where have you come from? Because, of course, God knows where he's come from. And Satan begins to explain he's been going back and forth on earth and and all these things. And so what happens there is is God goes, Well, you know what? I'm going to allow you to test my servant Job because he is a godly man, and I have the utmost confidence in him. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And starting in verse 13, it goes into saying, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And as I, I read that, that text, um, who in here, you can raise your hand if you feel, has felt this before in their life where it seems like things just keep getting piled on. One, right after another. I think at some point, we all might, hopefully have kind of felt that, That, and I say hopefully, and I'll explain that in a moment. I'm not like, I hope you have hard times. But um, that just, things just happen to you, one right after another. And for Job, you know, mostly with us, it's like, okay, maybe a few days within the week. This was like in minutes, all these messengers coming in and just being the bearer of bad news. And Job's response is amazing to me. After he hears all this, his first response is to just hit his knees and worship. I can be honest with you, I don't think that's my first response. And that's why Job was a unique individual. Life is not easy, and at no point has God promised it will be. Life will give us many trials. It also gives us many triumphs. (laughs) <laughs> the, the, hopefully I didn't. Did you do that manually, Nathan? Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so the title of my sermon, and I always title my sermons, it helps me stay focused, um, but a godly legacy at work. And when, when, I'm, when I'm viewing this, it's what we do in the trials and triumphs that say a lot about who we are in Christ. It defines us as believers because guess what, folks? People are watching. People are constantly watching us every day. And obviously, triumphs are a little bit easier to deal with than trials, though they have to be dealt with in the right way as well. But let me ask you a question for you just to focus on a little bit in your seats this morning. How are you at dealing with the triumphs in your life, and how are you dealing with or how are you at dealing with the trials in your life? It's a question we have to ask ourselves because it's something we're going to endure throughout our lifetime. Before I continue, I'll kind of explain a little bit who I is, who I am. Uh, like Dan said, I uh, was the youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Collinsville. And some of you may know that we put on a, a summer camp and, and you guys team up with us every year. And uh, I was the youth pastor there for the last five, six years, and I did my internship there. So I've been serving God at First Baptist for the last 10 years, even though I don't really look like it. I'm almost 30. Um, So probably about two years ago, and if you haven't guessed yet, we're going to be talking about trials today, my wife and I, our trials began. It was almost... uh, Two years this last, or this coming fall, maybe two and a half years, um, our senior pastor was diagnosed with brain cancer. Now, this was a man that was hugely influential in my life, who was a, a mentor to me, an example. And I remember the night that he told us, our, our worship pastor and I walked into his study, and we said we knew something had been going on. He just wasn't quite right. He, he was forgetting a lot of things. And we, he went to the doctor, and we said, Okay, Mike, what's going on? he said, it's not good. I have two brain tumors, and it's just not looking good. And I remember at leaving that point, and I walked down in the hall, and I saw my wife, Colleen, and I said, and I, you know, I just, you, you kind of have a, a moment of, of desperation. It's like, what's going to happen? And I, I remember going back to my office, and I just sat at my desk, and I just pleaded with God. It's a tough thing. You don't know how to deal with that. I mean, there's, there's no, uh, this thing, I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, there's no class on 101, how to deal with pastor having brain tumors class. You know, <laughs> you, you just don't get set up for that. And, and so for over the next few years, as he, as he battled this and we watched him deteriorate, we watched a man who was an example of Christ to the very end. He stood by, and constantly through it, his words were, God is good, and God is good all the time. And as he, as he just kind of withered away in front of us, um, he passed away last January, went home to be with the Lord, and we had a memorial service for him at the church, and what an amazing time that was, was celebrating the life of him, um, not because of who he was, but because of who he was in Christ. That example, that, that constant, unwavering faith of how you deal with a trial in your life. I could sit back and go, he's got brain cancer. What are we going to do? But he had brain cancer. And I sat there and moped and, you know. But he was fighting through it. And his wife, the same thing as uh, four months after he passed away, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's in that journey now where she's showing what, uh, what a believer, a strong believer in Christ, how they deal with trials. And so uh, shortly after he passed away last January, God started really tugging at, at our hearts and what that looked like. And, you know, we get complacent, right? I think we all... Kind of get at a point where we get comfortable, we like what we doing, and I was comfortable in ministry. I loved what I what I was doing. I loved youth. I loved planning events, and above that, I loved preaching the word. I loved sharing the word. I didn't become a Christian until I was eighteen, when I accepted Christ, and so It's just it's been a part of me. But we 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 started talking, and kind of unbeknownst to each other, something was wrong. Something was missing. And ultimately, a year ago this month, I remember I sat, we sat down with our, our board of deacons and I resigned. And I, I told them, you know, it was effective later that, that year in October, but I said, God is leading us in a different direction. I don't know what that is. I have no idea. But I have to rely on him to point us in that, in that path. And I can't, sit here and continue doing what I'm doing knowing God has something else in store. I remember leaving that meeting going what have I done? I've just quit my job and I have no idea what we're going to do. Like I don't know if that's a good idea or not. And um, so you know over the the next few months I, I don't like this term but I was phasing myself out. And when you've spent 10 years building relationships with people and then you're phasing yourself out. That was hard. You know, I, I, I most of these youth and, and even some of the youth here with uh, Brittany McCubbins and, and AJ and stuff, I've been teaching them in Bible um, camps and, and things since they were in the fourth and fifth grade and they're you know, that was that's not easy. And so we 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 went through our ups and downs and then Sometime in August, I've been applying to churches, phone interviews, the whole thing. And every time we get to a certain point, I, I get off a phone interview, and I go tell Colleen, this was really a good one. Feel, this is where God's going to send us. They'd call back and go, eh, it's not going to work out. And I'd be like, what? That was an amazing phone interview. I rocked it. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> um but, uh, and many of you know Steve Hampsh, and Steve Hampsh is a, a huge mentor to me. Uh, we were at uh, junior camp that year, and we were rooming together. And Steve and I were talking, and I've always had a heart for missions. And uh, we were just kind of discussing things, and, and uh, we were just talking in our cabin one day and both exchanging. I think your church just got back from a trip to Guatemala so he was sharing that the previous fall. We had taken our youth to a mission trip in Costa Rica. We were just sharing. And you know, I just kind of ended and I said, well, I don't know what God wants from me. And uh, I walked out. And probably about 15 minutes later, I walked back in our cabin. And Steve looked at me. And he goes, Josh, you know, just an old man's observation. But you sure are talking a lot about missions. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, I have been, but that's not what God wants for me. <laughs> and uh, we kind of left it at that, and probably later that week, I'm back in my office, I'm kind of packing some boxes, and um, I kind of sat down at my desk, and I started praying, and before I knew it, I was on my knees, just crying out to God, saying, God, what do you want from me? What do you want for our family? And he sparked that conversation from Steve. I said, no, God, <laughs> that's not what you want. And then he sparked a conversation, one of the last ones I had with our pastor. I was sharing with him our trip to Costa Rica, and he, I remember he looked right at me and he said, I've lost more youth pastors to the mission field than anything else. Am I going to lose you? I, I remember then looking at him, no, no. I got from my prayer time and I immediately got on the phone and I called Latin America Missions and I said, I need the paperwork because we're going to be missionaries. And the lady goes, do you need to discuss that with your wife? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> because my wife has been one that has wanted me to get the calling into missions since we met. <clears throat> and so that's kind of where we've been. Uh, that happened in August. We kind of started that journey not long after that, and since that point, we've faced more trials. Um, We had all of our paperwork in ready to go, and they called us and said, we can't send you full-time because you have too much student loan debt, and until you get that paid off, we just can't send you. I remember when we heard that, you know, we were ready to go. We were ready to get back in the mission field or uh, into ministry, and it was like a huge just punch in the gut. I've been working a, a secular job and what anything a secular job and all you people who work in the secular field, you are a blessing to the kingdom because I am not cut out for it. <laughs> I'll just tell you that now. But I was so eager to to, to just get out of that job and get back into ministry full time ministry. And as you'll see in a moment, I'm I'm missing the point. And so that that took place. And as the course of a few months went on, Colleen was praying. I was back in full-time ministry, too, because I was just a huge burden at home because I was just—when you go from 80 miles per hour, um, every single— or not 80 miles per hour, but 80 hours a week, 150 miles per hour ministry all the time to zero, you get annoying. <laughs> and I was annoying. And uh, so we, we, it was like one thing after another over the course of, of two years. And I can't go into detail on everything that we ha- went, uh, had happened, but it just never felt like we were getting anywhere. And then finally, we both just kind of, in our own personal times with God, and came back and we started talking about it and came to the conclusion, you know what? God is trying to teach us something. God is trying to speak to us. And we're missing it. Because we're so focused on what we want to do, we're not focusing on what he wants from us. And so, uh, kind of out of that came this sermon today. And I'll go into more detail in a little bit here on some things, but when we face adverse situations in our lives, God has this way of turning our focus to heavenly things. It may take six months but he will do it and he will do it until you get the point point. and it tends to change your focus and the things that you hold important in life we never found ourselves to be real materialistic but when you go from living in your own home to graciously living in somebody else's basement and selling half of your things it's a humbling experience I remember when we moved out of our our house, we had lived in a parsonage at the church. And some very dear friends from us said, you can come live with us um, as you're kind of going through this, you know, having a yard sale of all of our things, half of our things, literally, and just watching them go away. It's a humbling experience. And I'll tell you now, we don't miss it. You know, so I think sometimes we get so attached to certain things, and we're like, we can't live without it. But you can. Three things that come out of life's trials. And you, if you have a sheet today, uh, I'll do my best to help you fill in the blanks. Um, there you go. Three things that come out of life's trials. The first thing is adversity. And in a sense, when we're talking about God, adversity is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not. And let's define adversity for for a moment here. Adversity is an adverse fortune or fate, a condition marked by misfortune, calamity, or distress, or an adverse or unfortunate event or circumstance. So it's basically bad luck, right? I don't necessarily believe that. As a believer, I've come... um, to know that there's nothing bad about adversity, nor do I believe in luck. Adversity molds us, it shapes us, and turns us into what God wants of us. It gets our attention. In adversity, we usually want to do a removing job. Fill in the blank. When He wants us, when He wants us to do an improving job. So removing and improving. And in that moment, it's for us to realize the worth of the anchor, we have to feel the storm. It's a necessary part of it. And let's take a look at Psalm 59 for a second, where David is crying out to God for help and protection. And he says, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. For no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to the wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress. And in this moment, when when David wrote this, David was a servant of King Saul. And many people liked David. Saul did not. And so he sent his, his men to kill David. And David's wife gave him help to get through a window, And David then ran away, and the men didn't find him. Um, And so David says, those men were like dogs looking for me. And you can read the the actual story in 1 Samuel 19. And many scholars believe this was obviously written after David became king, and he was reflecting back on this situation. But what this shows us is David was facing some serious adversity. It wasn't like, oh, no, no. I hate my job. It was, people are trying to kill me. I've never experienced that firsthand. That has to be extremely stressful. Just the thought. But one thing we can take, and we look back at, at the book of Job, in Job chapter 14, one of my favorite verses, it says, mortals born of woman are f- of few days and full of trouble. And it's, that's, that's been a constant reminder to me that you know what? As flesh, I am constant trouble. I am sinful, I am flawed, and I am in need of a saving grace. So so church, we are destined for adversity. It's what we do with that that defines us as a believer. In Christ, when facing adverse circumstances, he gives us the ability to overcome anything. And if you're taking notes— Mark it down, to overcome anything. There's nothing he cannot assist us in that we may think he can't. We take everything to him. And the second thing that that can come out of of life's trials that should naturally come out of life's trials, I should say, is God's faithfulness. We we hit the, the adverse circumstance. We deal with that for a little bit. The next thing is, we're going to realize that God is faithful. If you're filling in blanks, God shows us through all circumstances that he is always with us. He will never leave us contrary to how we feel. He just doesn't. And when we realize it, he's just right there, ready to swoop in. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That verse is a huge comfort to me. Do not fear, for I am your Lord. Do not be dismayed, because I am your God. I'm going to strengthen you, and I'm going to help you. But you need to remember that. Too often we get stuck in the circumstance of our problems and we lose sight of that. We lose sight of who our God is. We 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 stop worshiping the way we used to. We stop fellowshipping with other believers like we used to. We quit going to church for several months. I'm a pastor. I quit going to church. It's a big deal. We didn't know how to deal with, with the situation. We felt awkward in our home church. We were struggling. It was because we had lost sight of this passage. That God was there the whole time. You know, you, I think we tend to, to get in those, those moments and we feel very forsaken. Like, where's God? One of my favorite worship songs... I'm not going to read the whole thing, and I'm definitely not going to sing it, is Never Let Go. And even though it was written by Matt Redman, I will say it is better performed by a great band, The Great Romance, who played at Agape if you went. They're good friends of ours, so I'm doing a plug for them. Um, And and the, the chorus is, oh no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm, oh no, you never let go. In every high and every low, oh no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. It says it all. It captures for us in such an awesome way how we feel when we're struggling, going through trials, experiencing the adversities of life, that God is not far from us. Under all circumstances, He is always there ready to scoop us up in his loving arms when we call on his name. He is faithful. Um, kind of for us, our, our faithfulness um, moment came. We, um, FBC called upon a new pastor back in December. And um, I remember about a month and a half maybe after he came, we met with him. And it was a moment where we walked into the meeting and it was like, I have to serve, we need to be serving. We're sitting at home, we're doing absolutely nothing. This is not a good use of our time. We need to be serving. And so um, one thing that has definitely been a huge thing on our hearts aside from youth ministry is marriages. And we feel that marriages are hugely important, that, that our, our uh, country today doesn't really put much importance in if whether you're married or not, um, whether you stay married, working out, reconciling with, with somebody. And um, we just feel that's a huge importance in the church, that it's our job as believers to uphold the sanctity of marriage and uh, as fellow believers to hold accountable married couples. And uh, several couples last year, good friends of ours, um, got divorced. I remember feeling very guilty about that because what was I doing to uphold that marriage? What, where was I when they were having their struggles? And so God put that upon our heart, and so we've, uh, we've actually started a marriage Sunday school class at our church, and um, we weren't quite sure how it would go. I'm not used to teaching adults on a regular basis, you know? Um, and so we, we kind of, the first week, we're sitting there, and I remember praying the night before, dear God, please let someone show up tomorrow. Um, And we had four couples? We had four couples show up. And we've grown to seven couples. And this was a month ago. And it has been a huge blessing. And the first thing that God shared from us, and I I remember sitting there going, well, well, how am I going to open this class? And this is how amazing God is. I said, okay, everybody just share a little bit about yourself and your marriage. Everybody did, and we went last, and I said, you know what, we're Josh and Colleen. We are sinful, flawed people with an imperfect marriage. God shows his uh, faithfulness to us through horrible circumstances sometimes, and bringing to light, you know what, everyone in that class needs to know, and if you're married, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And for us, it's been amazing for us because God has blessed us beyond belief. Our relationship is 10 times better than it was six months ago. God is faithful. And we finally had an aha moment. You have those? Aha, I get it. A few weeks ago, because this is why God wants us to be here right now for these moments where where he's not done working through us yet here. He's not finished with us yet. Out of every single trial we will ever face, God's faithfulness shows itself in mighty ways. Never forget that. I don't know how many times if you especially if you're reading through the Psalms, the psalmist completely wrap themselves around this idea of God's faithfulness. It's an important aspect to remember. And when you lose sight of it, that's when your life can really go off track. We have to remember his faithfulness. And the last point of something that that can come out of of trials in our lives is godliness. 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 And this step for us should be the most important. This is the one that makes the lasting impact. This is the one that worships God. This is the one that gives testimony to those around us. And this is the one that leaves the godly legacy. Through trials, our attention has to shift. The focus of our lives has to turn somewhere. And when that focus is not on God, we will continue to have problems. But when we focus on him, things change. It has to. He is the Almighty One. And when you focus in on Him, your life is going to change. Trust me in that. And this message this morning, if you're if you're especially a teenager or something, or you know, wherever age range you're in, this applies to everyone in here. There's nowhere in scripture that it says, well, godliness is just for grown ups. This is for everyone. You know, um, we have a a 20-month-old. And we already try, keyword try, to teach him godliness. That's important. Godliness is for everyone. When we are completely focused on him, our natural response is godliness. Godliness. Godliness should be the one thing that pours out of us more than any other thing when we are focused on him. The scriptures often uh, talk about us being filled by various godly virtues. And how do we know we are, no, we know we are full of goodness? For example, think about um, a sponge. Okay? It's really filled with a lot of water. If we push down our finger even slightly, water's going to run everywhere. We immediately know that what fills the interior pockets of the sponge, the same is true for ourselves. We can tell what fills us on the inside by what comes out under pressure. Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, and this, this verse to me is the godliness verse. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When we are exhibiting godliness, we are soaring like eagles. We are unstoppable. I, uh, a few years back, um, I was at a one of our youth events, our, our, our Disciple Now weekend, and I was speaking on on how natural our lives and our faith should be. And I couldn't come to say exactly what the story was in my notes. I just put Disciple Now analogy. Um, remember, I'm a youth pastor at heart. So if you think this is a crude story, I apologize beforehand and don't hurt me afterwards. But I was explaining to them at a very low level what kind of things in our life are, are natural, and when you think about that, okay, you know, ah, natural things, what, what This is a, a quick instinct. And I hadn't really prepared very well, at least for that moment. I'm not saying I didn't prepare well. I didn't, I didn't go to the weekend like, hey, shotgun. Um, but I'm, I'm sitting there going, what, what can I say? Because I knew that part was coming up, and I'm like, I need an analogy. So I go, when you get up in the morning... What is the first instinct 99% of people have? Anybody? Go to the bathroom. I think I go, you gotta pee. Of course, that, I lost all credibility, and that went on Facebook the next, like that night, and a lot of questioning parents. But (laughs) it's a natural thing, right? You don't have to think twice. Once, once you reach a point um, where you know, I got to go to the bathroom, I know where that is, got to go, you do it. You don't think twice about it, at least hopefully you don't. Um, that's what our lives in Christ should be like. There shouldn't be a second thought. There shouldn't be this moment where, how is this going to work out for me? How, how am I going to go about doing this? It should be that natural. And when we look, and this is how I define godliness, and this is not exhaustive, um, and you may have a, a, a different definition of it, but godliness to me is the constant outpouring of everything good and holy, to not only be an example of Christ, but to outwardly and inwardly live by his teachings and mean it. I think too often in the church today, we get caught up in the facade Of what it means to be godly that complacent thing that the 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 comfortableness and a lot of times we find ourselves in the church that oh my goodness if people know i'm a sinner that could be bad we're all sinners (laughs) we all are in need of grace and i found myself especially as as a pastor and as a youth pastor that it was hard for me to admit my sin because i'm like well what are people going to think of me we got to mean it. And when we're in this godliness mode, this is the place where men live up to the standards that God has called us to by being the husbands we're supposed to be, being the fathers we're supposed to be, and being the leaders we're supposed to be. This is the place where women live up to the calling that God placed in them by supporting, being supporting wives to their husbands, helpmates in life's successes and failures, nurturing mothers to their children, Examples of the word and mentors to younger women. And this is where children listen to the leading and teaching of God's spirit by honoring their parents. Being examples of Christ to their friends. Church, godliness isn't a word. It's a lifestyle of worship to our Heavenly Father. It's not a request. It's not a question. It's a command. Godliness requires each of us to have an awakening of sorts in our lives of what is important and what should be important in allowing God to radically change us from the inside out. It has to happen here. You know, I hear churches talk a lot about, oh, we need revival in the church. That's true. Don't get me wrong. But guess what? Revival has to happen here first. First before it can happen in the body. It has to happen on an individual basis before you can start seeing godliness just sweep across our communities. These are the things that come out of trials in our lives. And what should be the response of our soul? And as we go into life, it's because of our legacy. Guess what? We don't have a whole lot of time here we just don't what what do you want people to remember about you and trust me once you're once you're heaven bound you don't care but i had a video that I, we couldn't get working but it basically was talking about this idea of, of what is a christian legacy and at the end of our lives literally our life is made up between what happens between a dash In two dates. Birthday, death day. What you fill in is what defines you. And I started really contemplating this because several very important people in my life over the last few months passed away. Older people. And I, I went to their memorial services, and I remember people getting up in the They're talking about them and just the godly life that they led and how they raised their children and all these things. And I began to think about that and go, how are people going to remember me? If I died today, what would people get up and say about me? Was I what God called me to be? Or was I a fake? Was I ingenuine? My prayer for us today is that whether we are dealing with trials or triumphs, that God is moving in your life. That you are yearning for a deeper relationship, and that relationship is evident to everyone around you. That you completely sell yourselves for the cause of Christ and continually take up your cross daily. That your desire to be what God has called you to be is stronger than the desire of this world. Things in this life are unimportant. Belongings, parties, popularity, it's not important. But I pray that in going back to adversity in our lives, it's not a bad thing. Because I pray if you're dealing with something adverse right now in your life, that you have an aha moment. That God grabs you by the inside, shakes you, and t- shows you that there is more to this life than just getting up every day and going through the motions. It's about being sold out for him. We started teaching a uh, a uh, college Bible study about a month ago. And uh, just not with the church, just at our, our little basement apartment. And uh, we just invite the college kids to come every week. and. We just share what's on our heart. We've been talking about legacy. And uh, one of the things that I have found that we're we're scared, people. Life is hard. (laughs) And, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been, my job has been the church. My job has been full-time ministry to the church. And so recently, having a full-time secular job, I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs over in South County, Jefferson Barracks. The first few months there, it kicked my butt. It, it It was hardcore. Josh, you're not prepared for this. And I started really thinking about just people. And how easy it is for a pastor and a ministry person to go, hey, you need to live your life better. It's not easy. It's not easy being surrounded by coworkers who don't believe the same thing you do. It's hard maybe having family members that don't believe the same thing you do. And finally, when, when we had that aha moment, I realized that I needed to minister to my coworkers. I don't need to just go to work every day and do my job and leave and go home and forsake them to the world. This is where godliness takes a hold of you. This is the leadership role for us men. My coworkers are just wallowing in their sin and I just sit by and watch. And I'm too concerned, well, what if I get fired? (laughs) Well, what if they go to hell? Really doesn't equal out. So I, took, I decided that, you know what, I need to do something. And I, I work in a call center, so I can't exactly sit and chit chat. But I decided, you know what, on my breaks, I'm going to start sending out scriptures to my coworkers. I'm going to print off some scriptures, and I'm going to hang it all over the place. Now, this is the federal government. I haven't gotten in trouble yet. So, it has to be a godly moment. But I remember recently being called into my supervisor's office last week. And I was being called in because, in all humility, I got an award. A performance award or something. And uh, she was talking to me about that and she goes, Josh, I just want you to know that some of your coworkers have been talking to me and you're changing the environment in the call center. You're changing the attitude. And, and I, I told her, and my supervisor is a believer, and I looked at her and said, Jackie, I'm not changing anything. He's changing everything. But guess what? That doesn't happen until I respond to life situations and realize that there is a need for godliness in our world. There's a need for godliness in our, our, our workplaces. There's a need for godliness in our schools. And we're the ones that are charged with that. And if we aren't bold enough to step out, it's just not going to happen. Like I was saying, the one day when you are dead and gone and no longer concerned with the things of this world, that the people left can look on your life as a point of reference, as something to cling to, and say that was someone that strived in everything they did to honor God above all else without regret or remorse. And that is a life of godly legacy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can dig into your word, that we can just gather here freely and be in your presence as fellow believers, Lord, seeking and yearning for you. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room today that if we're dealing with trials, if we're dealing with triumphs, if we're just not dealing with anything right now, that you grab a hold of us. Speak to our soul and make us realize that there is a need for revival in our hearts. That your faithfulness is unwavering. And that godliness is what you require of us. Godliness is what you need from us. Lord, I, I just want to take a moment here today as everybody's just kind of sitting there in their seat for reflection. For each and every one of us, if God is, if you're tugging at our hearts this morning, for us to commit ourselves to these virtues. Because God, this, like I said, this, is, this isn't a requirement or a, a question you ask of us. It is a requirement you demand of us because you're a God and we are not. And so, Lord, I just, I want to give everyone a, a, a moment here today to just reflect on that, no talking, no, you know, whatever, um, to commit ourselves to that very thing. And church, as you sit there in your seats and just, you know, you deal with God, if you feel you need to come down here and just kneel before him, please, by all means, do that. If you need some comfort and some prayer. I'm sure the leadership team just slip your hand up and come pray with you. But church, this is what we need. This is what God demands of us. So just take some time um, to reflect on that.